Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. We are a podcast under GBB's Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, 3ND, and Starting Vive. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com and on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Nathan Chester, and filling in for my co-host, Parker Fleming, is none other than 92.9 radio producer and host of the Hoops Island podcast, the Sound and Color podcast, and also something else that I'm probably forgetting right now, Connor Dunning. What's going on, man? <laughs> What's up, man? You actually, you hit it all. You hit it all. I do Giannato and Jeffrey, Sound and Color, Hoops Island. We're good to go. Well, I mean, like that may be true for now, but like a month from now, this podcast will already be outdated. I'm sure there'll be something else on your schedule at that point. <laughs> more than likely, more than likely, yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I want to like start with the most important question on you and I's minds, and we talked about this last night, but uh, what do you think is going to be the best route on Beale Street for the Grizzlies Championship Parade? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be – we definitely need to have the pyramid involved at some point. So, you know, a starting point in the parking lot – of the pyramid at the Bass Pro Shop isn't a horrible place to go. And then, you know, just go up Main, and then you go down Beale, <laughs> ended at the Horpheum. It's, I mean, it's, I, well, well, we need some schematics and blueprints in front of us. It's hard to do it over a Zoom, you know, planning the parade. But it's, I think it's definitely in the future. Yeah, for sure. Like, we're just kind of like getting a base outline and foundation for it right now. But uh, let me ask you this. Who is most likely on the Grizzlies team to be the Marcus Saul of this championship parade? And what I mean by that is just out of your mind drunk, blackout drunk. <laughs> the, current, the current Memphis Grizzlies team? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I think it's probably going to be Dylan Brooks. Like, let's be honest about it. Like, Dylan's – he's got like three baby mamas and like – like all these kids around like I love me some Dylan he goes hard on the court I would have to imagine he probably goes hard in the club as well my second choice it would be kind of similar to to Marcus Hall but I think Jonas would like just crush about a 24 pack by himself and just be and just be amazing just, oh, wow. a, just a, a drunk, happy Lithuanian is what we need in our lives. I actually think I disagree with you on JV because I'd imagine his alcohol tolerance is just absolutely well, insane. There's no but tolerance. that would have been the thought process of Mark, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a seven-foot-one Spanish guy. Yeah, yeah, probably so. <laughs> uh, um, but I like how you <laughs> – the Anthony Melton, we're not going to uh, sit in judgment of um, uh, Dylan Brooks's decisions that he's made in his personal life. <laughs> I love how you equate getting drunk with having multiple baby mama. Well, it's it's more it's more so I, I'm not necessarily equating it. I'm more so thinking like the 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 actions that probably led to those pregnancies probably involved <laughs> yeah. a lot of alcohol. So I'm kind of I'm going with context clues here. Yeah. Okay, so in all seriousness, uh, Connor and I are having this discussion about the championship parade because the Grizzlies have now won seven games in a row. And at the time that we're recording this, they will be playing the Indiana Pacers tonight to try to win a franchise best eight games in a row up to this point. And I don't think the Grizzlies finishing 66-6 and six is unholy and as unpleasing to God as that might be. I don't think that's out of the question considering the Grizzlies apparently have the deepest 12-man lineup the NBA has ever seen, which is what it has looked like 
over the last six to seven games. But there are so many positive trends to go over with what is making this team so good right now. And I think one that you and I both want to talk about is Xavier Tillman. And Xavier Tillman has been in the starting lineup um, since the MLK game when Jonas Valanciunas either went into health and safety or actually tested positive for COVID, depending on who you ask. I don't think that was ever made official one way or the other, but he's been phenomenal in the starting lineup and you're going to get into his off on numbers here in a minute, but he has just been so immensely impactful on both sides of the ball. And for the same reasons that draft Twitter were so high on him coming into the NBA draft. He screens well. He's an excellent playmaker as a center. He's a good rebounder. Um, he's averaging as a starter 1.7 blocks and 1.3 steals, which would definitely make him an all-defense candidate if he was playing for an entire season. What have you enjoyed the most from watching him? I, I think it's definitely his his defensive ability because I think, you know, being the child of the – of the G and G era. And I think most Grizzlies fans other more so than other cities, we have a tendency to really appreciate just great defense here in, in Memphis and watching Xavier Tillman night in and night out, just absolutely dominate bigs that are bigger than him. And it's, it, it's just, he was in an article on Yahoo a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago. It's, it's fantastic. Highly recommend it. They talked about Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman was in it. talking about how, how, Draymond made defense cool again in the NBA and watching Xavier Tillman, you can tell that all he cares about when he's on the floor is that no one is going to score at that rim while he was on the court. I mean, his, his numbers at the rim this season are unbelievable for a rookie, especially an undersized big. So it gives me a ton of confidence moving forward. And it's very encouraging moving forward because it, it allows the Grizzlies to have all of this flexibility now with their big man rotation. Like what I like about Tillman as well is that, there's no secret that Jonas's defense this year against stretch bigs has not been great. He has struggled against stretch bigs. We've all talked about how he's been scooting back in the paint on pick and rolls, how that's kind of driving us crazy. But Tillman is the guy that you can throw in there, and he's versatile on the defensive end, and he can kind of cover your bases there. So I just like his defensive versatility, and I love his energy when he's on the court too. He he's, There's definitely an archetype with this Grizzlies team. Kleiman seems like he likes high-energy guys, high-IQ guys, that are dynamic on the defensive end first, and but can also do multiple things on the offensive end where they're just in the right place at the right time. So his IQ, his, uh, his defensive versatility is, is, is probably my favorite thing about him, man. I just love watching him play basketball because you can tell that he actually cares. And I think that's so big is like just knowing that players actually care about games is so big because you can look at other cities and, and they don't have guys that care night in and night out. I mean, we had a guy named Deontay Davis here just a few years ago. He didn't care. Yeah, that's the that's the distinction to be made there is Deontay Davis um, had a lot of talent and attributes that you could say Xavier Tillman has, but he just didn't care enough. The, the desire and passion weren't there, and that's why he's out of the league right now. But talking about Tillman's defense in particular, and I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me, but in the – is it three games that he's been starting now or four games? I, it's three or four. I was trying to go find it. And, like, the game logs are just so weird this year because uh -huh. of all the cancellation, cancellations and stuff. So it's about three or four. But, um, but I mean, basically, like, the Grizzlies are right now, they're plus 12.3 with him on the court. And I know that that's kind of tough to do because Jaw's been out this year and there's been so many injuries. But if you remember, it does seem like that Tillman has really played most of his minutes when he's, especially when he's been starting, when Jaw has been in the lineup. So I think that you can actually take some things from those numbers. So, I mean, he's plus 12.3 on the court. The defensive numbers with him on the court 
are fantastic. It's definitely better uh, than when Jonas is on the court. So it's just basically the matchup situations. And I know you want to kind of talk about, do you think that Tillman could possibly be the, the future starting center of the Grizzlies? And I think one day he absolutely could be, especially if Jaron can figure out his rebounding stuff. Yeah. And I think about you brought up rim protection and the d- distinction between Valanciunas and Tillman. And people have made the case over the last couple of years that Valanciunas is a good rim protector. And while that is technically true, it's because he kind of cheats. He never really does come out of the paint. He's not very comfortable doing that. And so if you dive and go deep under the pick and roll every single time that it happens, then generally, if, you just, if you're just if you six foot 11, seven foot, and a big beast of a man like Jonas Valanciunas is, you're going to do a pretty decent job of protecting the rim. But Tillman, who has shown more defensive versatility, more of a willingness to get out into the paint, he ripped Chris Paul twice in isolation situations on MLK Day. That blew my mind. Chris Paul has made an absolute living during his career of abusing big men in pick and rolls. He did it to Dwight Powell all night long against the Dallas Mavericks um, a couple of days ago. But even in those situations, Tillman has been absurd as a rim protector. And in the four games that he has started, he has a better field goal percentage, defensive field goal percentage at the rim than Rudy Gobert, who is generally considered to be the greatest rim protector of his generation has during that same time. It puts into perspective just how phenomenal even at six foot nine and under size center but he's so mobile he's so athletic and he's built like a truck I remember the last play of the game and Parker and I talked about this on the pod last week when Tobias Harris who hit a game winner earlier this week when he was trying to do uh, the same thing against the Grizzlies and and Jaws first game back he drives and tries to go to his left hand and get to the baseline and not only does Tillman have great lateral quickness and agility his core strength is absolutely insane like Harris ran into him and could not get a single inch from him he had to go right. to the baseline because that was the only path left to him there and he ends up turning it over turn over and the Grizzlies win the game those are winning basketball plays that don't show up in the box score and those are the type of plays that Xavier Tillman exemplifies yeah absolutely it's just like you talked about it's his IQ and it's his energy he's always in the right place at the right time and that is so important the Grizzlies have multiple guys like that I mean the Anthony Melton is very similar in that aspect and that he's just kind of always in the right place at the right time uh, now, all this being said, like Jonas Valanciunas is a great NBA center to have. Like, I, I'm, it's it's just one of those things where the Grizzlies kind of have a – they just have so many great guys right now. I mean, Gorgie Jane can go in there and he can give you great minutes. I mean, right now he's leading the NBA in three-point percentage. How the hell is that happening? No idea. But then you have Xavier Tillman there. And then you're going to have uh, Jared Jackson Jr. He's going to get thrown into the fold here pretty soon. You already have BC. So it's like you have five big guys that could – that could realistically be in your rotation. So one guy's going to be an odd man out at least every single night. So I think that it's just like you can appreciate Jonas Valanciunas, and he does great things. Like you said, he can give you 20 and 10. Sometimes he gives you 30 and 10, and that's fantastic. But on the night-in, night-out basis, I think that Tillman may be better for the future plans for the Grizzlies. Yeah, and that'll be an interesting situation to watch that unfold over the next year. Uh, my instincts tell me that Valanciunas will be the starter at the end of this year just because – I agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah, once Jaron Jackson gets back in the lineup, you want somebody who can help cover for his rebounding deficiencies in that way. I will say – 
that I was fairly confident when the season started that Valanchunas would be in Memphis to the end of his current contract. I am no longer confident of that. In fact, I would go in the other direction and say it's more likely than not that that will not be the case. But that will be very interesting to watch that unfold, not just throughout the rest of this season, but uh, over the next two years as well. But I want to pivot and move on to somebody that I know you want to talk about. And I'm just going to I'm going to give you a quick statement. And I just want to hear your response. Uh, please keep it PG at, at the very least. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Elton is shooting 45 percent from three on three point seven attempts this year. How does that make you feel, Connor? I, it makes my heart so happy, man. It's it's I actually didn't realize he was shooting 45 percent from three until I was getting ready for this podcast. It today, And I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God. The Grizzlies have three top 15 three-point shooters in the NBA right now. That's ha- It has to be the most we've ever had in the top 15. If I mean, to be honest, we may not, not have ever had one in the top 15 until this season. But, yeah, we have Gordy Jang, number one, Baines, number two. But then you have De'Anthony Mellon. I think that he's 14. And we talked about it last year a couple of times, like when you and I would do a podcast, or I know a lot of the times I would do it with Parker, we would talk about. But De'Anthony Mellon, the biggest thing that we saw with him is that it was steady improvement with his three-point shooting last year. It wasn't massive improvement, but it was steady improvement. And it, and, it, and over the offseason, he said in all of his interviews at the beginning of the season, every single time he's on one of those Zoom calls, he seems to talk about how he is working on his three-point shot. He is working on becoming a more consistent shooter. And it's it's someone said it on Twitter last night, but it's these little incremental improvements that the Grizzlies have made over the offseason from last season that has made this team so much better. I mean, you have Dylan Brooks trying to be more of a playmaker. You have De'Anthony Melton hitting threes. You have Kyle Anderson kind of doing it all right now and also hitting more threes. It's just these little improvements raise the ceiling for this team so much. So De'Anthony Melton hitting threes, man, if he can become a legitimate three and D guard in the NBA, sky's the limit for him, man, because his IQ is off the charts. I mean, when you watch the game, like last night watching it, he is just bothering people. He's like a fly on the Spurs. He's just always around the ball. Whenever there was a loose ball, D'Anthony Melton was right there. He's just all – he's a ball hawk, man. So adds a three-point shooting to it, and you're going to make me black out. It, it made me it, – it's thrilling to see him hit threes. I mean, I said it last night. Every time he hits a three, I think an angel gets their wings. Yeah, and his motion is so fluid. In spot-up and and catch-and-shoot situations, he's always in perfect triple-threat position. The motion just looks snappy. It looks good. So whenever he catches it off a Tyus Jones pass, a Kyle Anderson pass, or a John Morant pass, I generally think the ball is going in, and that's how smooth and fluid his motion looks. And another element of his game that has taken a huge leap this year is his pull-up shooting. And I think we've seen that most about when bigs get switched on to him. Now, God bless his heart, LaMarcus Aldridge cannot defend a traffic cone this year. Like, he has struggled mightily on that yeah. end. But you saw it a couple times. I think Melton hit two threes on Aldridge when they were in an isolation situation. That Melton is not the best ball handler in the world. I would not – you don't want him to necessarily be your primary playmaker or your point guard. Um, this is not his ideal role. But he, he is very athletic. He has very long strides with the basketball. So when he is sizing up, especially a mismatch or a bigger defender on him, he's able to have enough space to rise up and elevate and shoot those pull-up threes with that same nice motion that he has for his spot-ups and catch-and-shoot. 
dudes, and he's doing it and converting it at a high level. Um, I remember when I wrote an article about him the summer that he got traded to Memphis. That was two summers ago. As a rookie in Phoenix, he was the worst pull-up shooter, worst shooter off the dribble in the NBA by any objective measure. Um, I think he took about two pull-up jumpers per game, and of the players in the league who took that many, he shot the worst percentage. He shot 18% on off the dribble jumpers. I think he is shooting at my, I think I looked at the number last night, he's shooting 35% right now, which is above average for pull-up jumpers. That is a huge step in his game as far as creating gravity, forcing the defense to react to him. And it's improving his shooting percentages beyond the three-point line. He's shooting 45% for three, but he's also shooting a career 49% for the field. He's athletic. He's explosiveness. When people have to close out on him more and react to him more from beyond the three-point line, he can get to the rim and finish there at a high level. And We've seen that. Absolutely. So it's the incremental steps, like you're saying. And when you take those incremental steps, it has a positive impact in other areas of your game and for your game as a whole. And we're seeing that with melt right now absolutely it's your your point about his three-point shooting forcing people to kind of step to him and respect him because melton is quick man his first step is really fast and he can get around that defender i mean if you look at the offensive if you look at the offensive numbers when he's on the court the grizzlies are uh plus 14.4 on the offensive rating i mean his ball movement ability when he's on the court, he, he just, like I said, he makes the right play at the right time. So like you said, when a player comes out to him and he can get around him on that three-point line, he usually finds the cutter. And that's what the Grizzlies are so good at this year. It's team basketball and the constant movement. Like, I was, I, it's, I'm a league pass guy, so I flip around. I watch, I watch all these different cities, all these different teams. And the biggest difference that I've seen when I'm watching the Grizzlies versus like a team at the bottom of the East or the bottom of the West is that players just stand around and kind of watch what's happening. When you watch a Grizzlies game, if you pay attention to the offense, guys are constantly moving. And I think that that's a credit to Taylor Jenkins too, because it's, it's, I don't, man, to be honest, I don't know how this team is doing this right now. It's, we've got to stop underestimating this Grizzlies team. Like I don't expect them to be the fourth seed all season, but I do think that this team has a legitimate shot to make the playoffs, especially when they're healthy. Oh, yeah, and I am like I tweeted this last night that I would be very, very surprised if they don't make the playoffs because in recent NBA history, and by that I mean going back 25, 30 years, there's not a single team that has finished top 10 in defensive efficiency and missed the playoffs. The Grizzlies right now are second. And that's without Jaron Jackson. That's without right. Justin Winslow, who are two-plus defenders in that way. Um, there might be some slippage. They play some better competition or the better competition they do play, like Brooklyn actually has their stars there. And you might see that number dip a little bit, but they're not falling outside the top ten. They may not fall outside the top five. And that's a testament to what Taylor Jenkins has done. But um, in their last game against San Antonio, they shot 56% from the field, 50% from three, had 37 assists. That's that is an absurd offensive night by any objective measure. And what makes it so astounding to me is that it feels so sustainable. The way the ball is moving, like you're saying, the way that people are constantly cutting, they were just pummeling San Antonio. You could see how discouraged and demoralized they were in both of those games. And yet the Grizzlies just kept on coming. The ball keeps moving. The ball doesn't stick. There's no hint of complacency there whatsoever. They weren't content until the clock ticked zero and they were up by 31 at the end of the game. And there's really no time off 
all for this Grizzlies team because even when you're putting in the so-called scrubs at the end of the game, uh, Gorgie Jang was in the game at the end of the game. He led the team in scoring. One through 12, there are guys who contribute at a high level for this team, and that's what makes them so difficult to game plan for, and it's why they're winning at such a high level. But it does raise an interesting question to me, and this has been something that's been on my mind a little bit throughout this win streak, and I want to hear your opinion about it. Are you familiar with the hewing effect? Yes. Yeah, oh, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's something. Are I, we going down this path? It, we're, we are going to go down this path, but there's a practical uh, application of it I want us to talk about here. So Jaron and Justice, which we're going to talk about their situation at the end because I find it okay. very peculiar. But when they inevitably at some point hopefully do get back into the lineup, I don't want to talk about, you know, will the Grizzlies struggle? Will their chemistry be disrupted? Because honestly, like you said, I think we've underestimated them. I don't see any reason why they can't maintain – a high level of play and play even better with them in the lineup. But the Grizzlies went 10 deep last night without Jaron and Justice against San Antonio. Who, whose minutes are cut back in the rotation and who gets removed from the rotation entirely? Yeah, so it's actually on Hoops Island. Uh, Parker and I talked about this on Hoops Island because that is going to be a problem moving forward. I mean, the Grizzlies have a great problem right now. And like you said, when Justice and Jaron come back, basically one through 14, one through 15, whatever, could play realistically, and I wouldn't be mad about it on the court. Like when, when John Conchar is the end of your bench, that's a great bench. You know what I'm saying? Um, and real quick before I answer that, I just want to say all of this win streak stuff and how the Grizzlies are playing this season, I think you touched on it, is that it is sustainable. And I think it's sustainable for two reasons. One, they are doing it with defense first. Their defense is leading to their offense. And when a team – is really good defensively, it can cover their bases offensively where, they're, where they may be missing things. But then you're going to get explosions every once in a while, like you did last night against San Antonio, where you just can't miss. Um, and it's their team basketball on the offensive end, their assist numbers, they're, they're passing the ball. It's, all of these things are sustainable. It's not, like what, it's not like that they have a role player that's scoring 25 points per game and playing way over his ceiling, you know what I mean? So there, there's not really any outlier things happening for the Grizzlies right now. They're just playing good, great defense, and good team basketball, and that's how they're winning. So I do think it's sustainable. Now, the lineup stuff, this is where it's going to get tough. I mean, um, I know people were worried about Melton when he had that DNP against the Suns. I'd never really – I was like, I think Jenkins might just be kind of looking at stuff. I'm not taking too much credence into it. Unfortunately, I think that the odd men out are going to be – I think Grayson Allen's going to probably be an odd man out. I, yeah. I don't see him playing I much. I, I think John Conchar is probably going to be an odd man out. Yep. I don't see him playing much. And then it's going to be either Jang, Tillman, or Jonas, I think, depending on the matchup. And I think that's kind of how it's going to go. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree on the two being removed from the rotation. And about Justice Winslow coming back with the impact that we've seen Desmond Bain have and the Anthony Melton over the last two games, essentially a thumbing at Taylor Jenkins and saying, don't you ever give me a DNP coach's decision. <laughs> He's done that very well over the last two games. Justice Winslow in a perfect world is everything this Grizzlies team needs. He's a multi-positional defender. He can defend four positions. He can play one through four on offense. He's an excellent playmaker and has grown and developed as a spot-up shooter during his time in the NBA. With everything that he's gone through physically over the last year, he's been on two different teams that has not played basketball, I believe, over 450 days now. He has got to show me that he will be more impactful to winning basketball than, say, Desmond Bain or DeAnthony Melton is at this point. He's going to have a lot to prove once he gets back in the lineup. 
Right, and that's why, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe roll him on the bench for a, little, for a couple of games to kind of get him in the groove, see how he works with the team. I think with Justice Winslow, it's, 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 it's a really tough situation because you feel bad for the guy. It's not like he had a kind of a freak NBA like a basketball accident because he was supposed to come back for the bubble or he was supposed to come back last year, and then we had the break, and then the injury happened right before the bubble. So we would have gotten to see Justice Winslow in a Grizzlies uniform if it wasn't for COVID, damn you, COVID. Um, and now it's like it, – I'm on, I'm kind of on, on, of the opinion now that I think that the Grizzlies are planning to pick up his option in the offseason because we do need kind of a bigger sample size with this guy. I want to see – I want to see a hundred games with this core, what they look like. And I think that that's what we're going to get moving forward. But like you said, Justice Winslow in a perfect world does everything the Grizzlies need because what we need with that starting lineup, especially with Jaron right now is that we would need help rebounding. We would need help uh, down low with defense and we need help on the perimeter with defense. He can do both. We need a help. We need a second ball handler. He can do that. We need a three point shooter. He can do that. We need an inside scorer. He can do that. Like he's kind of an, he's kind of a Swiss army knife for a basketball player. He's kind of the Anthony Melton, but like bigger, what, what four or five, yeah, four or five yeah. inches mm-hmm. taller. Yep. Because if, if we if we remember last year, I think it was opening night when the Grizzlies played uh, the Miami Heat, he put like 27, 10, and 10 on jaw. And like he can do that to NBA defenses. So it's like I, I, I want to see a bigger sample size with Justice Winslow coming back, but I also expect him to kind of roll him in a little bit slower. Yeah, I and mean, it was painful to watch Taylor Jenkins sacrifice Ja Morant in his uh, career opening <laughs> on the altar to Justice Winslow. Ja Morant, probably 10 pounds lighter back then than he is now. So he was 60, right. about 175, getting eaten alive by 6'7", 225, Justice Winslow. But I agree with you. I want We all want to see that larger sample size. And I think that will make sense if the Grizzlies decide to pick up his option. But with that in mind, let's move on to the peculiar aspect of this. Um, obviously, we want that larger sample size. We want to see how Justice Winslow fits with Jaron Jackson and Ja Morant. What is going on with that situation? So yeah, it, it's not immediately clear to me whether Justice Winslow told Grizzlies PR, hey, I want to speak to the media and like give my side of what's going on, or if they encouraged him to do it himself. But he's saying uh, rehab is progressing. I hope to be back this month. But he said even recently a couple weeks ago that my hip feels totally fine um and jaron jackson has also spoken at length about how he feels good at this point and i understand the approach of extreme caution um it's a good thing it's a good thing to want to try to maintain the health and long-term viability of your franchise stars and john moran and jaron jackson take the cautious approach think about the next 10 years and not just the next year but there comes a point where you're so over cautious to the point where people are wondering whether more is going on behind the scenes what do you think about all this yeah so i think that the it's kind of a tough situation i do think that yesterday what we saw was justice Winslow was basically like listen i think that we needed i think i think justice Winslow probably pushed for that uh zoom presser yesterday and you know during it we found out what his injury was and it was kind of a freak accident it was a non-contact which is always a little bit concerning but he did say that his hip was feeling better he did say that he was hitting his check marks and he did say that you know he thinks he's going to be back at some point this month, which it could be the end of the month. It could be two weeks from now. Who knows? Um, now it's, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily think it's as fishy as, as we may think it is because 
if you look back when Kleiman talked at the beginning of the season, or maybe right when the season ended last year, he talked about how MLK Day was go- was what they thought the beginning of the season was going to be. And it seemed like that all the timelines that they gave us was kind of based on the season starting on MLK Day. So I think that the season starting a little bit early kind of pushed stuff back. We also have to consider that the two-week COVID break that the Grizzlies got pushed everything back by two weeks. Because think about this. Yes, Ja was able – like the break helped Ja because Ja could do his workouts and condition by himself. Justice and Jaron need on-court workouts with the team, with 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 the team. So they can't be doing stuff at home by themselves, you know. So they need the team facilities to get stuff done and to rehab. So that break probably pushed it back by about two weeks. Now, a, a team source spoke to a few people after the presser yesterday, and I was able to kind of find out what he was saying. And basically, it was listen, we're not going to rush this. It's they would love to make it to the playoffs this year. They would love to win this year. It's very much like last year, but the, the focus is two to three years from now. It is not two to three weeks from now. And I know that's frustrating. If the Grizzlies weren't on a seven game winning streak, I think it would be a little bit more frustrating because we'd be like, we need those reinforcements back. But at the end of the day right now, the Grizzlies are on a seven game winning streak and Justice and Jaron are healing and they can come back healthy. I'm fine with it. I know it's frustrating. I know that we, we want a little bit more transparency from the team, but at the end of the day, like, they, they've always kind of said that it would be it would be sometime in February. So I'm not too concerned about it. When I get really concerned is like, let's say that, let's say that Jaron comes back and we don't see justice. That's when I get, that's when I get really worried, you know? Yeah. And because there also may be an idea out there that they want to bring him back together. Because what, because God forbid you bring one back and then the other one gets hurt, you know? And you're like, oh my God, we have to do this whole thing again. So they may be wanting to bring him back together. That could be in the timeline too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think for me, the most frustrating one has been Justice because Jaron's going to come back and he's going to be Jaron. And it's going to be a season kind of free of expectations for me as far as Jaron is concerned. I just want to see him be more or less what he was last year while taking steps as a rebounder, taking steps as a playmaker and a ball handler. I want to see him improve in isolation and really truly start to become unguardable with how people defend him. But at the end of the day, he's missed an offseason. He wasn't able to work on his game the way that many other people, including John Morant, were able to do so. So, Jaron, like, it's not a lost season, but also I'm not expecting a huge leap by any stretch of the imagination in year three. Year four is where the truth will be in the pudding for Jaron Jackson, I think. But Winslow is somebody that you just want to see how he fits, right? You just want to see right. what he is. Is he still what he was in the year where he filled in for Goran Dragic for extended periods of time and played point guard for the Miami Heat and was – this multi-positional playmaker that he's built to be. We want to see if he still is that and he can be that for the Grizzlies. And even when you're in the midst of a long winning streak, which definitely sweetens the blow to a certain degree. I mean, at this point, we talk about the hewing effect, right? Where you add your star players back and the team inexplicably starts to struggle because they've developed a chemistry, they've developed a flow without them. And that will be a very real possibility once Jaron Jackson and Justice Winslow get back into the lineup. So just enjoy this stretch as it goes. The Grizzlies may be about, as of the time we're recording this, they may go on to have their longest winning streak in franchise history if they beat the Indiana Pacers tonight. John Morant is going to continue his inexorable march to his first All-Star game. There's a lot to be happy with rather than complaining about where Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson are when I think we'll be seeing them sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's it's just, with Justice, it's 
it's like, what are you expecting from Justice when he comes back? I guess is what we also have to talk about because, like, if he could give me something like 10, like 10, 3, and 3, like this year, I'll be happy. It's for just like, right, yeah. Yeah, it's because I don't, I, you don't expect too much from him, especially when the Grizzlies are so deep. But, I, like, honestly, the thing I think that I'm the most excited about for when Justice Winslow comes back is to see this already basically elite defense, see where he slides into that. And because they're just so damn long, man. Like, every time you watch these Grizzlies games, they're just everywhere. And it was kind of fun. I went and I looked at the defensive ratings for individual players this season. And, like, the top 50 players is just littered with Grizzlies, man. Like, De'Anthony Melton's in there. Dylan Brooks is in there. Kyle Anderson's in there. Jang is in there. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is even in there. I think I saw Ja in there as well. It's just – their team defense has been so good. So seeing Justice Winslow with that unit is going to be fun. And speaking of defense, I think considering how many deflections, right now the Grizzlies are averaging, I believe, if the numbers are still true from last night, they're averaging 10 and a half steals per game, which no team in the last 20 years has done in the NBA. So the way that they're creating deflections and steals is absolutely insane. And I think when you consider the fact that both Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark are playing over 20 minutes every single night, stop skipping over players in the NBA draft because they have short arms they can still be great defenders it's absolutely stupid stop worrying so much about wingspan and and age and age because guess what the guys that are more mature come in and they can help you win right now yeah, absolutely. And as a result, the Grizzlies got the best shooter and the best rim protector in the draft in Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. God bless Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Desmond Bain would be the third best player on that team right now. Think about how much they need. Oh my a three, God. Think about how much they need a three and D wing right now. Like Xavier Tillman is probably in the top ten or twelve best players in this draft right now, as far as actual production this year is concerned. So, like you said, I wrote an article about it a couple months ago. Go. As long as teams continue to embrace ageism with evaluating draft prospects, the Grizzlies will continue to find the hidden gems. Yeah, King Climb is just going to continue to to clean up. Now, my favorite part about the the Bane story with the draft is that Boston Boston traded us a couple of picks for basically to give us Bane, and like that's my favorite part of the whole thing is that Danny Ainge once again fumbled it. The conversation around Danny Ainge needs to become very real because let me just tell you, I don't know if a GM has fumbled the bag more than that guy the last five seasons. I'm, that's I, all I'm going to say. You know, say what you want about Tyreek Evans. He had the drug problem, but he's been out of the league for the last two years now. I will never – I stopped taking Danny Ainge seriously back in 2018 when the Celtics, after Kyrie Irving got hurt and they needed perimeter help, they were good enough to make it to the NBA Finals. They should not have lost to Cleveland in the Eastern Conference finals that year and Danny Ainge would not trade the 27th pick that became Robert Williams who's a fine decent NBA role player he would not trade that for Tyreek Evans who was averaging 20 and 6 and would have been the perfect missing piece that would have absolutely pushed them over the top and gotten them into the NBA finals and after that point I realized he loves assets more than he loves winning (laughs) yeah I mean, this is isn't this the same guy that offered like eight draft picks to Michael Jordan? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's uh, he's got a he's got a bad history. It is what it is. Connor, why don't you plug your stuff, man? Yeah, uh, you can listen to me every single day on nine to nine FM ESPN from two to four with Giannato and Jeffrey. You can follow me on Twitter at cdunning nine two nine. You know, if you like movie takes and just positive NBA takes, that's that's what I'm doing over on my Twitter. Uh, subscribe to Hoops Island. 
on Apple. Uh, my, your good friend Parker Fleming is my co-host on that. And also subscribe to Sound & Color. That's a movie and music and kind of pop culture podcast that I'm doing over for 99 FM ESPN. You know, you talk about positivity. Hoops Island really does radiate positivity. There's like no ounce of negativity that is allowed to flourish on Hoops Island. (laughs) (laughs) It is not. It's just, I guess, it's just my mindset when I'm watching basketball is like, it's patience. Like, I, I, it's it's patience, especially with the team like the Grizzlies, man. Like, some of them may, may, mis- may make mistakes, but we have to remember that they're the second youngest team in the NBA. Even a guy like Dylan Brooks hasn't really gotten, like, a fair shot to be what he is supposed to be in the NBA. Like, he's been having to play above role basically his entire NBA career. So, over there, we just kind of preach patience and, you know, and large sample sizes. Large sample sizes is a big deal, too, for us. Absolutely. And you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Connor, we have a particular way to close the show, and so I'll let you do it. Me? What? Yeah, what is you, it? You said uh, you remember how Anthony Davis left New Orleans? Remember the last article of clothing he wore before he? Oh, is it that? That's all, folks. That's all, folks. <laughs> Thank you, people. <laughs>